So, Mom, uh, welcome to the podcast. To start, uh, just question, what would you say was like the best thing about summers growing up f- for you? And then when you became a mom, what was the best thing about summer vacations raising us? Well, when I was growing up, the best thing was just the free time, not having um, a schedule. Mm -hmm. And um, I love to read. So just having like endless hours in the afternoon to be outside. Sometimes I would climb a tree and read a book or we had a hammock in the backyard. I would love to just lay in the hammock and read a book on summer afternoons and then sounds great maybe go to the lake nearby to go swimming and um yeah and then when you guys were younger um early on when we lived in california still it was um being able to go back to new york with um sarah and tom and Mm -hmm. then you sam um to visit in new york to visit my mom and dad there and um, then later on, um, when we started going to Catholic Family Land yeah. and just spending a week there as a family. That's, that's that, I mean, that definitely would be a, not a highlight, but the highlight definitely of the summers. And we've talked about the Apostolate and Catholic Family Land uh, multiple times, and it's just so awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, I think, will tie in nicely with what we want to talk about today. Um, which is family. So, you know, the Catholic family land, the whole drive of the apostolate is is consecration, you know, the holiness of the whole family, Um, not just an individual. Obviously, we have individual calls to holiness, but there's also a familial call to holiness uh, within the family. And their spirituality is also very heavily based on Pope John Paul II, um, who is called the Pope of the Family. Um, so when we were talking with mom about, you know, maybe what we want to talk about today or thinking, um, Nate and I thought about it'd be really good to talk about, especially what Pope John Paul says about the family. Um, and there's multiple things. There's lots of what he said. I mean, he he goes into it in detail a lot, but specifically this idea of that the family is the basic cell of society. And he also says that as the family goes, so goes the world. Um, so, Mom, what what do you understand about John Paul II's teaching on the family and just this to start with this idea of the cell of society? Uh, Nate, you can chime in whenever you want. Yeah, for sure. But go ahead, Mom, take the lead. So, um, one of his earliest um, um, exhortations that John Paul II wrote was his letter to his um, uh, The Family in the Modern World, Familiaris Consortio, and that was um, only a few years into his pontificate. So there was actually a synod on the family in um, 1980. So he was, oh, okay. he became Pope in 19, late 1978, and um, the synod was in 1980. So um, and then in 1981, the um, this came out the um, his uh, the family in the modern world. So um, obviously something that was very important to John Paul II, yeah, and something yeah. that carried a theme that carried throughout his pontificate. So um, and of course 
that draws from even within the Second Vatican Council, too, the call to the family and, of course, um, as part of the laity and the significance of the laity, the role of the laity um, in, in the church and in society. So, um, and I'm just going to, from time to time here, just share some of the things from the family in the modern world. And his call on the role of the Christian family, become what you are. Hmm. And in it, he um, reinstates what the Synod had emphasized as four main tasks or responsibilities of the family. Okay. So the first one, forming a community of persons. Hmm. And the second, serving life. Mm-hmm. The third task, participating in the development of society. And the fourth, sharing in the life and mission of the church. So I could just speak a little bit to each of those. Obviously, forming a community of persons. So in the family is where we first experience relationship. Yeah, yeah. And how to build relationship, how to show love, Mm -hmm. forgiveness, respect, respect, compassion, um, it's you where know. you first expose communication of any kind, right? Right, right. So if if that is lacking in some way, then um, it's not going to project into the rest of the culture. Right. If you haven't had an experience of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and speaking to the transcendentals, unity being one of the, the transcendentals, which, again, mm-hmm. we, we try to talk about more, but we still end up focusing on truth, goodness, and beauty a lot more right but that family then is the first experience of unity in this person's Mm -hmm. and if you have a disjointed sense of unity then the need for it and the ability to give it to other people in the world is lacking which is why people who don't grow up in a family or in a healthy family have a very hard time relating and finding unity within any society or community of people yeah Exactly. Because, like you're saying, it's it's supposed to be the first exposure and the first opportunity of um, learning to connect with people and relate to people. So if you don't get that down, then you're not going to be able to have a fully developed sense of community going forward for the rest of your life. Hmm. Right. And then the second task, serving life. So a family should be life-giving, both... Um, life of children. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The life of the spouses together, mm-hmm. and then the relationship between spouses, and the relationship between um, parents and children, and relationship of um, children with their siblings, mm-hmm. and then how they relate to people outside the, the family. family. That that should also serve life and be life giving through that witness in the family. And spiritual life, too, uh, that obviously, again, you know, you said the later one of the points was mission of the church. Um, but if, if you don't have a, a spiritual life giving sense in your family, you can't really participate in the mission of the church at all. Um, so how to especially the responsibility of, of parents, but even as siblings get older, the responsibility of them to their younger siblings uh, of you know, calling, you know, family rosary. That's something the Catholic family and the apostolate talks about. Um, Consecration and all of these things are are ways to contribute to the life 
of the spiritual life of the family um, on top of including the physical. It's not just one or the other. It's, it's, it's both. Yes. So, cool. Thanks, Mom. So you're kind of including some of these other two, um, I guess we already touched on these, the participating in the development of society, though. So, you know, what we, how we participate in the public square. So in whatever your sphere of influence is, whether mm-hmm. that's, you know, when you're in school, if you're, you know, later on, you know, in college or in the workplace, as well as in political life, you know, that you are um, a witness mm. in, in political life, you know, especially in, you know, for example, like the pro-life movement, you know how critical that is, um, or in, um, you know, serving the poor as, um, you know, a witness and through the family that you learn those, hopefully, in the family to take out into into the culture. I want to ask your, maybe some of your personal experience or opinion on that, about the, the public witness, um, especially, I know, like, We've always gone to the March for Life or, like, pro-life breakfasts and stuff like that. But those are generally with also like-minded people. True. I certainly, for the longest time, have kind of been like, yes, I know I have strong political beliefs or I have strong uh, moral, you know, foundations. But I'm, until more recently, have not been nearly as outspoken about them in conversations with people. How has been your experience of maybe being a little bit more bold in... You know, it says contributing to society. Well, you, you, that requires a voice or an action. How, how have you done that or grown into that more? Have you felt yourself developing t- into that more? Maybe, especially as as the culture continues to degrade, um, you're maybe have you felt more of a call even to be more outspoken? Yeah, I think there definitely is, and you know, of course, there has to be kind of the opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. to just start talking to somebody, you know, like out of context is difficult, but, you know, been in situations where, um, for example, hearing people talk, you know, maybe who are married and Mm -hmm. have one or two children and, and say, you know, oh, we're done or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't think we want to have any more children, um, or just, you know, expressing kind of the challenges that go along with family life as maybe a potential reason and then you know just maybe posing some questions to them like you know have you thought about this like you know how what a gift it is for siblings to have each other and you know um uh you know in the future like that is really significant Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. um you know maybe just thinking about things if people think they have to work as terms of um, instead of being home with children when they're young or um, just, you know, maybe posing questions or just giving suggestions that mm-hmm. they might consider. Um, and, you know, you don't have to be overbearing about it. But um, and, uh, and, and talking about things like natural family planning with people who maybe have not have really don't have an awareness of that or what it is and what it means. And, um, you know, people that actually have, uh, identified with that and then changed their manner of thinking and Mm -hmm. where they thought they were done having children, then decided to have more children. Hmm. So it's important that we be prepared and ready to, you know, to, um, 
answer those questions or speak out when it's appropriate. Right, right. What about you, Nate? Have you found more opportunities to in conversation to either to ask people maybe some of those pointed questions? I mean, where where you go to school is kind of a bubble in that regard, Um, but you're, you're certainly training you to think and dialogue in that way. Yeah, and where I go to school, like you said, it's very much a bubble. A lot of people share either similar opinions or, um, well, similar opinions on what the things that matter. So often on political or religious issues, there's a lot of consensus where I go to school. But I have, like, I think been pretty well prepared just from our, the example of our parents and from our home life of how to speak kindly to people and how to speak, like, respectfully to other people who don't always share the same opinions. Because I, I do have classmates who feel differently about religion or feel differently about politics. And even though I don't do, always do it perfectly, and I sometimes get a little bit heated, um, I think it, I was prepared in the home for learning how to handle topics that are challenging in a way that's graceful and respectful. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess I would wonder, if, if you weren't prepared for that in the home, I don't know where else you would learn that. Because particularly nowadays, if you go to uh, kind of the public square as it stands nowadays, you know, that term comes from olden days where people would actually meet and talk in a public square. Yeah. Nowadays, the public square is virtual. It's, you know, through mm. social media. Mm. So there, if you didn't have any previous experience or um, upbringing in which you were taught how to respect others' opinions and voice your own opinions in an influential way, but also in a caring kind way you definitely would not learn that from social media <laughs> yeah you, exactly. you don't learn that from comment sections below youtube videos you don't learn that from uh, public forums online you on the contrary all you learn from the internet and people's interactions virtually is just hate uh, bitterness and you know prejudice so i think it's that's another essential reason why like you're saying mom one of the roles of the family is to form people so that they can contribute to society is it's essential to a society that have the transcendental of unity and you know where people aren't necessarily always unified on their opinions they should at least learn how to be unified in their means of discussion so that they can be respectful of each other because you're not getting that anywhere else you don't get that in most schools you don't get that like i've been saying online so you, that has to be taught in the home mm. so the family is absolutely the, the has to be planting the first seeds of dialogue And so that um, the last task that um, John Paul speaks about in the role of the Christian family, again in reference to the synod on the family, is sharing in the life and mission of the church. So that's kind of what we're getting to, too, as far as in terms of, you know, kind of evangelization and um, just the witness, I think, just the witness of um, being a family and Mm -hmm. being... um, seeing that relationship like people notice that and um you know we have a lot of um larger families in our parish in particular Mm -hmm. but i know you know i've had been blessed to be you know visit other churches other parishes and and witness that as well and um you know you you take notice of those families people see that and um you know they may not know you but they see something different and and more and more in you know as our society um 
has uh, gone in the direction that's very much anti-marriage and anti-family, um, families who give a joyful witness will stand out even, even more. more obviously. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And just thinking about this, again, back to that idea of this basic cell of society, mm-hmm. and if you think on a biological level, the cell mm-hmm. is like the, the fundamental life unit mm-hmm. for the for a, an organism. Um, and when cells are in distress, they can they can still work, but all all of the other life functions kind of go by the wayside, mm-hmm. um, and then they they often die more quickly. Um, so when a family is in distress or yes. is being put in stress by like an outside force. It, the body can break down, we get a fever, we start to die. If the cells die, the body dies. So for if the society is the body and the families are the cell, if we continue to break down the cells of the society, we're just going to break down the body. Um, and then what's what's left is a decaying carcass. Which is really interesting. Well, that's it's quite uh, a picture in the mind. Um, so just what you're saying is interesting because nowadays, especially in our secular world, the family and society are often kind of pitted against one another, and mm-hmm. they seem to be that way in a lot of political discussions because the way you're describing it, which is accurate, is the family is the unit from which you build the whole organism that we call society. But, in fact, what we see nowadays often through political policies um, is the society is attacking the family. And so you have the whole organism attacking the cells that make it up. So it's basically eating itself. You know, it's yeah. It's, yeah suicide essentially um by attacking the thing that makes it up so it's just it's really interesting to think of it that way that the way you pointed out biologically to think of the family as a self society if you think of it that way then what we have nowadays really it's it's the issue is not so much that there's this one force at war with another force but rather this large thing is attacking the smaller things that make it up yeah so it's it's interesting and uh, I think China and its one-child policy is a really strong example of Absolutely. a society first having a policy that was against itself and realizing it, you know, in the last decade, oh, oh, if we kill the family, we actually kill ourselves yeah. and kill our legacy, we kill Who our culture. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who would have thunk? Um, we haven't caught up to that idea yet as we try to push more and more agendas in schools about children choosing where their genders are at four and mm-hmm. and, you know, all these different ideas about education um, and what a family can be. You know, anything is a family now, right? right? There's no boundaries to what a family is. Mm -hmm. Which basically, in the words of Syndrome from Incredibles, if if everyone's super, no one's super. Um, So same thing with the family. If if anything's a family, then there's no such thing as a family. And if there's no such thing as a family, there's going to be soon no such thing as a society. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's basically the whole ideology that is currently being pushed in schools and just at large by the woke mob is one that is kind of spells the doom and the suicide of Western society because, like you're saying, Mom, it's at war with the family. I mean, to more or less explicit degree, some people are kind of a little bit hidden and ambiguous about that, but some people are outright and very vocal about that, that they're, they are out to get the family. There's literally an organization, I'm sure you've heard of it, called Abolish the Family or something like that. And no, I it's, haven't heard of that. Oh, really? It's it's, yeah. it's quite well known. It's influential. It works together with, like, Antifa and other... It's, oh. it's literally called Great. Abolish the Family. And well, that is, that's their goal. A lot of that, you know, probably has its roots in 
um, you know, in history, uh, especially in atheistic communism, because mm-hmm. one of the um, understandings of communism is in order to have that revolution is that the faith and family have to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. So um, to be a family, uh, especially a Christian or in particular a Catholic family in the modern world is going to take, you know, really swimming against the tide. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the late Father John Harden said, only heroic Catholic families will survive. Mm. And that's a pretty strong statement, but he's yeah. uh, um, a late priest whose cause is underway, you know, um, really a saintly man. But um, he did a lot to encourage families, in particular families and education. And um, that's another point that John Paul expresses very strongly in um, in this uh family in the modern world when he's speaking to families um, about education and the role of parents in Mm -hmm. education, Um, that it's the primary vocation of married couples, not only to participate in God's creative activity, so, you know, begetting children, but also the most solemn obligation, I'm quoting here, they have a most solemn obligation to educate their offspring. Uh, Hence, parents must be acknowledged as the first and foremost educators of their children. Mm. Their role as educators is so decisive that scarcely anything can compensate for their failure in it. So, you know, that's a pretty big call to um, parents, to married couples. But, um, you know, we see, you know, the effects if if we're not doing that... um, you know, where we are, even within um, families in the church, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. because so many young people, after they leave home, um, abandon the faith. And mm-hmm, yeah. we can't rely solely on the church itself through, you know, faith formation, religious ed, whatever, to fill the role that is actually belongs to parents. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the church is there to support and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, be a champion of that. But it really begins with parents in the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, I've had conversations with a lot of students or, or friends, and uh, a statement that's said a lot is like, "Well, you know, I went to Catholic school, yes. K through twelve. You know, I learned it all, but I it just it just never I never really jive with it. Never really you know hit home for me. And I really kind of wanted to respond with two things. One was like, d- d- you didn't learn it all. Yeah. That's one thing. <laughs> but two, it doesn't matter if you went to school K through twelve if when you got home it wasn't important. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily, I don't know for sure if it was important. They could have also been just pushing their parents away. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the, at least the vibe that I get is like, that's all, you know. It was a school Their thing. parents were like, oh, you, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to Catholic school? That'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like mom made a really good point. We we're actually kind of talking about this, not in preparation, just it happened to be in our conversation yesterday um, about faith formation and everything. And that you, you made a really good point is, if the public schools came and told parents, we're going to teach your kids math for one hour a week, or we're going to teach your kids science one hour a week, that'll be good. That's all they need. No parent is going to be like, yeah, that sounds sufficient. They'll learn it all. Like, No, they'd be like, no, absolutely not. They need to be able to get into a college. They need to be able to be effective in the in the workforce. They need to know these things. Like, They need to hear it every day. They need to have homework. Mm-hmm. But that which is most important, our salvation, 
like, oh, well, just come for 45 minutes on Sunday, education, catechesis, that's it. That's all you need. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying, Mom, then the duty of the parents is at best to let, like, religious ed in Catholic schools be a supplement, Mm -hmm. um, but that their duty is is prime. Yeah, he he goes on to say, so not just, you know, it's not just the knowledge. I mean, we need the knowledge of the faith. One of the expressions that drives me kind of crazy is, you know, the faith is caught, not taught. Well, that, you know, that's just, um, it's just not a reality. It's not realistic because Mm. you can have people that are good, you know, maybe examples of faithfulness to the church. But if you don't know your faith, you're not going to love what you don't know and you're not going to grow in relationship. And that's what our faith is about is relationship, Mm -hmm. relation ultimately with Christ, you know, with God. So um, it has to be. Not only the catechesis of it, the fundamentals of the faith, but but living it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm going to quote again, by virtue of their ministry of educating parents are through the witness of their lives, the first heralds of the gospel for their children. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, by praying with their children, mm-hmm. by reading the word of God with them, and by introducing them deeply through Christian initiation into the body of Christ, both the Eucharistic and the ecclesial body, they become fully parents in that they are begetters not only of bodily life, but also of the life that through the Spirit's renewal flows from the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Mm -hmm. So we have to teach it, but we also have to live it Mm -hmm. and, you know, praying together. And so that's, you know, why I'll just... Um, um, share, you know, why the Apostle for Family Consecration and um, attending events at Catholic Family have been so um, pivotal in the formation in our own family life. Yeah, absolutely. Through consecration to the Holy Family, so to Jesus through Mary in union with St. Joseph, and living the consecration by praying together as a family mm-hmm. and um, being involved in um, the life of the church as a family in different ways. Um, you know, that the apostolate has really been fundamental in that. And, and um, you know, one of the things he calls for uh, after that is... Um, Pope uh, John Paul you're talking about. Yeah, Pope yeah. John Paul and the Episcopal Fathers, the Synod Fathers. Um, so the Synod they're referring to is um, that... A suitable catechism for families would be prepared. Mm. That was one of the things they were calling for. And so the Apostle for Family Consecration has a family catechism that families can use in the home um, to teach their children the faith. And um, it's, um, you know, because a lot of parents feel they're not... um, they're not equipped themselves because right. they didn't learn the faith themselves. Mm-hmm. Like growing up, like I did, you know, in the seventies and eight, I mean, catechesis was not, not non-existent thrown to the dogs. It was, <laughs> as one of our former pastors said, um, rainbows and butterflies. Yeah. Color um, me Jesus. Color me Jesus. Yeah. And, At that point, um, not only was it like for a while, it was not only not catechesis, it was like anti-catechesis. Like it probably accomplished more harm for many people than good. Well, yeah. yeah. Sometimes what you don't say is, is, as harmful as what you might say. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the Apostles' Catechism equips parents, even if they're not um, well-grounded in the faith themselves, to be able to educate their children mm-hmm. and awesome. to live the faith. And, you know, I can speak to that 
personally, we grew up going to daily mass. I mean, I don't know if, Nate, you can remember a time we didn't go to daily mass. No. I, I can only vaguely remember maybe like, I was like, I think it was seven. Even when we were in the started. old church on the other side of town, yeah. started going. It wasn't every day then. But, I mean, by the time I was in middle school, I think we were pretty much going every day. We were altar serving. Yeah. Um, and for a while, it was kind of like, ugh, you know, I have to get up for this. Then started, you know. Yeah, it used to be 7.30 mass yeah. back then. Then started wanting to, and then started missing it when we didn't. So, absolutely, you know, the example and, and, and the repetition, the habit, right? It's, if, you, if the kids were left to create the habits, you know, especially when they're younger, it's not going to happen. It's the parents have to reinforce. But was also just as helpful was that there were other Catholic families going. Absolutely. And I think most especially the Depews being there every day and for a long time the you know the Conley boys also being there also serving the Kengors so that well yeah mom and dad were the ones bringing us there there was also the witness of other families too mm-hmm. and that's why families helping families right to grow in holiness first the parents have to help their children but then the goal is that if we only if it was only the family individually doing it it still wouldn't work it's the families also helping families. That's the whole body you can't of Christ. Have one cell exactly, by exactly. We each create our cell, just like Saint Paul says. We're an eye cannot live without the ear, and I can't say I don't need you. You know, we are the eyes as the Whitakers, but we need the ears of the Depews, or we need the feet of the Dudas. You know, whatever. Right. Um, and but if we didn't have it ourselves, we didn't have the eyesight that you guys taught us. Then what do we have to contribute? So mm-hmm. the help families helping families, and what you said to prayer is. It, John Paul, who said the family that prays together stays together. No, that was uh, that Dr. Was, Dobson. No, no that no. was uh, Father Peyton. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, the Rosary Priest. Father the Rosary Peyton. Priest. Yes. Irish, solid yes. Irish. Yes. Um, Patrick Peyton. But uh, exactly. And that another point um, and uh, that he makes, again, John Paul, is um, in particular. Note must be taken of the ever great importance in our society of hospitality in all forms. Hmm. So um, in a special way, the Christian family is called upon to listen to the apostles' recommendation. Practice hospitality. Whoever gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. So inviting people to into our homes Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for families to get together or just to invite other people into yeah. your home and to share with them. I mean, we have done a lot of that over the years and, you know, get to know people that way. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes it can, you know, be a profound experience for both the people that yeah, we've invited in. Yeah. And then, you know, for us in, in developing a relationship. And, you know, that's just it's really key. We need that because. You know, the devil wants to separate us, and he's doing a good job of that, like through social media, like you were talking about, Nate. You know, it's really divisive, and, you know, that's what he wants, if we can alienate ourselves from one another. And so the practice of hospitality, Mm -hmm. especially through the family, is a way to counter that. And that hospitality provides the opportunities um, for families helping families, like you described, Sam, because they're able to, the cells are able to unite and spend time together and bond. And encourage one another. Exactly. And in my mind, like, kind of just the, the picturesque kind of glory of a family is, you know, like, like a big barbecue, like, you know, dinner party with all the other families gathered around and, and having a good, wholesome time, enjoying food, just being with one another. And 
hospitality is a hallmark of Benedictine monasticism. And there's a reason why so many people say that they feel like they're brought into a family so quickly when they come to St. Vincent, regardless of even if they meet a monk, just like the whole nature of the place is because it exudes from our spirituality, Mm -hmm. this hospitality. And, you know, I tell people, you know, it's it is like a family because there's guys who I want to spend time with. There's ones who I want to diss myself with. But we are all still together. We're all brothers. At times it might be dysfunctional. <laughs> at times it might be chaotic. But it's still clearly love. And mm-hmm. that is extended then through hospitality. Um, and in, like so you said it was Father Peyton. He doesn't say that the family that prays together is the family that doesn't fight. Or the family that always gets along. Or that always likes each other. Exactly. But it stays together. together. Um, and that's what a monastery is. We're staying together. I took solemn vows to stay there um, like through thick and thin, just like as a well, husband and wife say, for better or for worse, mm-hmm. because it, we are far better together than we are apart. Mm-hmm. And But prayer is that, that cohesive uh, tool that Christ has given us in order to, to for that to happen. And by staying together, then we inspire and promote others to also be more united and, and together. And so the vocation of the family affects other vocations yeah. as mm-hmm. well. The call to religious life, priestly vocations, um, you know, that's another aspect of the role of the family is... Mm-hmm. Um, Encouraging openness to whatever you're called to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is where, uh, it, again, I, I have all these quotes in my head and just not who says them, but <laughs> it, is, it is in the family that uh, a young man or woman first hears God's call uh, because... It is through the parents, ultimately, that... Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Mom, yeah, um, thank you. for yeah, joining cool. us. We finally got you on. Now we got the whole, I think, the whole direct family. The whole squad. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get Johan I know, we keep on saying that. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mom. Yeah. I'm so glad you, you could be with it was, us. It was great. Um, and thank you all for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, give us a like, a rate on Spotify. Um, comment below, uh, anywhere, whatever. Send an email about what you like, any questions you might have. Um, and if you're if you are you know a parent or a sibling, um, and maybe your family dynamic isn't what you hoped it would be, or you're maybe struggling, you know, um, obviously prayer is is the uh, the first refuge to go. But then Our Lady and the, uh, Jesus and Saint Joseph and the Holy Family uh, ask for their intercession. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you for listening and have a God blessed day. Have a bodacious day. Mm-hmm.